Baltimore hopes to do what no expansion team has ever really been able to do in year number one, and that is contend. There are some fans with politically incorrect apparel tonight, and we acknowledge from the outset that we're under a court injunction to resist all temptation to refer to Baltimore as spirited young horses of any kind, and until the matter is straightened out in the American court system, we'll try to comply, but uh, forgive us if we slip up occasionally. This is It Happened One Year, a look back at the events big and small, famed and forgotten from 1994. Hey, everybody. We're doing it again. Welcome to the show. <laughs> it happened one year, 1994. 1994. We are indeed doing it again. Same thing every time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm always concerned that you're going to come up with some new wacky way to like market the show with, uh, you know, the random phrases we say. We're going to get a t-shirt that just says listeners. <laughs> this, is, this is your line. Like, you know, so. I mean, I, I do think maybe swag is a thing that we should get into. So listeners. Let us know, uh, what would you buy? Well, we're already selling that ringtone based on your previous <laughs> idea. And so far, there are no bites. <laughs> we're doing it again. People do not want to start their day that way. It's a great idea, honestly. Yeah. Once once you, we, it, the word starts to catch on, I think it'll, it'll really grow. I assume it'll become like James Earl Jones, this is CNN. It'll be yeah. huge. So people yeah. will not be able to stop talking about it. Do you think we should start one of those websites, like those soundboards that just is, it's all of our weird outros? Yeah. Do they still have those? I remember like 20 years ago, they were everything. Yeah, that was a yeah. real thing. They were awesome. I don't even know if that's still a thing because everything is so advanced now. I assume a soundboard would have a thousand things on it, right? Yeah. But, uh, oh, back in the day. You Great. know, the internet was really something once upon a time. You no, know when it that... wasn't anything though? 1994. Very good. <laughs> the internet was garbage in 1994, <laughs> as everyone can attest. I don't know. I hear sex.com was really great that year. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Let's not go down that road again. I believe that, that whole episode was just enveloped, was swallowed by our conversations about sex.com. <laughs> and I don't know that people enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, I do like the idea that someone's walking into this podcast at this episode, and we're just referencing other episodes in which we just talk about sex.com. Yeah. Like, this was 1994. What? If this is your first episode, welcome to the show. Don't start back at the beginning. No. <laughs> Just listen to like two episodes ago, whenever this, whatever number episode this is. Go back like two weeks and then maybe work your way backwards. But I don't know okay. if those early episodes hold up. Disagree. I don't know which episode this was, but the Kevin Bacon episode is like, it's a masterpiece. It's a work of art. That is a pretty early episode. That's so true. proud of that. Yeah. But like Michael Moore, Michael Moore, Michael Morris. <laughs> I still question whether that was anything. No, I still think that's the best concept for an episode we've come up with. The execution, though, oof. Poor. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, at least we finally finished the Olympics when we got to finally talk about uh, Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan in the headline news episode. Yep. So we yep. finally finished those Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. We we might still talk about Jeff Galuli at some point just because that oh, seems fun. I hope so. That'll be an offshoot. Maybe yeah. we can package that with, like, Cato. We do Cato Kalen, Jeff Galuli. That's a pretty fun double feature right there. I do like that. Yeah. yeah. Not bad. Not bad. They were both buffoons, and they did buffoonish things. 
And I feel like that's a nice segue into today's episode. One that I have always wanted to do this episode. This has been on the list since the beginning. Yes. I thought you were going to pivot into talking about the first topic. And I'm like, are you calling Joe Heller a buffoon? (laughs) I was very upset. I love Joe Heller. We'll get to that in a second. (laughs) First introduce the episode. That's smart. I like The whole concept. So I had this written down for the longest time as the Boondoggles episode. And I believe the title will probably still be some version of that. But I guess we had to define between ourselves, between ourselves, entre nous, what we were talking about as when we would say that these were boondoggles. So what what did you what was the consensus we came to? Can you explain that? Yeah, well, when uh, you first mentioned doing a boondoggles episode, I was like, that sounds great. But in my head, I was like, I don't know what that means. Um, but yeah, we, we did eventually come to a consensus. So I think if you Google boondoggle and what it means, it's extravagant and useless project. Um, so basically, we're talking about things that were unnecessary and highly invested in. Is that, a, is that where you think we landed? I guess that's true. I mean, some of these more than others. Some of these were giant financial losses, and some of them were just embarrassing and yeah. foolhardy and it's a sliding scale because again like there some of these topics involved tens of millions of dollars being thrown yes. out the window and some of them are just reputations that got sullied and some of them are just stupid ideas so yeah. I mean, yeah. we're not covering a lot of different things but i still think that this was always an interesting way to talk about a couple yes. some of these things very forgotten instances across time back in 94 do you think we should call this the buffoon doggles episode? Ooh. Huh? Huh? <laughs> that is pretty good. But to your point, I don't think anybody really knows what boondoggles means. And then to the super complicated, it might also be complicated. I be think tricky. it clarifies it. I think it clarifies it. Buffoon doggles. Buffoon doggles. I could see that on a t-shirt. We should sell stickers. <laughs> episode whatever. The buffoon doggles. <laughs> that could be like the name of our band when we go and do like live shows. Yeah. Come on down to the Paramount Theater and see Buffoon Doggles. (laughs) We're just doing cover songs. Uh, We're doing headline news. That's the only song we know. (laughs) And the Oklahoma theme. And uh, And Run Away by by the Real McCoy. Nice. Oh, that's true. Not Real McCoy? We've really covered a lot of music. We have. The season one, uh, It Happened One Year soundtrack, which will soon be a just playlist on Spotify. Check in. It's going to be great. Search for that. I'm sure that's something we can do. Yeah. All right. So to kick this off, we're kicking it off with, I hopefully, the shortest story of this group. And it was actually something that wasn't in the original list of boondoggles that I wanted to cover. But when I realized that it came out in 1994, I wanted to throw some quick shade at the sequel to my favorite book of all time, Catch-22. And that is Closing Time by Joseph Heller. Uh, You read Catch-22. We did mention this at some point on the show. Uh, You listened to the audiobook. I did. Is there a natural sequel to Catch-22? No, No. there is not. Yeah. There's not. And you know what? I'll go for it uh, for doing this. Joe Heller, big buffoon. (laughs) Fair. Uh, It was clearly a just cash-in later life idea. Catch-22 was published in the 60s, and this book came out again in 1994. He had written other books in the meantime, not a lot, but a couple. And mostly they were always criticized for not being Catch-22. Basically... The Catch-22 concept, the structure of that book, he never tried to replicate to, I guess, his credit. But also the books he wrote were largely discarded as being uninteresting. I think some of them are okay. I don't think they're all bad books. God Knows is a pretty good book. Good as Gold is a pretty good book. But 
by the time you get to closing time and Joe Heller is now only a few years away from dying himself, which I believe was 1999, something like that. This was just a cash in thing towards the end of his life. So like roughly how old was he when he wrote this book? When this book comes out, Joe Heller's about 70, 71. Oh. So not not past it by any stretch, not beyond his mental faculties. It's not like Harper Lee putting out that crazy <laughs> To Kill a Mockingbird sequel when she was 90 or whatever. <laughs> but clearly, like, I always worry when you have sequels way down the road. This is the same thing in movies, the same thing of anything. If you have waited 30 years to put out a sequel, you don't need that sequel. That's just unnecessary nonsense. Yeah. And I often feel like people who are involved in those sorts of things don't understand why the originals were popular anymore or don't know how to re-enter those that mindset that created it in the first place right yeah uh most tv shows that come back have this problem where i think the actors on the shows don't go back and watch what they originally did they just assume they'll be able to pick it back up and it never works right yeah this isn't exactly a fair comparison but closing time is almost exactly that so what's like the core problem with closing time what's the issue well, all of the characters in Catch-22, if you recall, not to spoil that book, basically die. There's not a lot of people who make it through Catch-22. It's a book about the war and the futility of war and that group that the book covers. There's almost nobody who gets through that. So immediately you're like, well, what is this even going to be about? It's set in the 90s. It's not set post-war. It's set 50 years later. So you're now dealing with Yossarian, who's still alive, Milo, the chaplain, uh, Wintergreen, there's only a couple people, and they're now old men. And it's basically like them having broken down a bit, Yossarian's ill, and, and things, you know. But then the book also wants to be funny. Joe Heller was a funny writer. Like, he wrote, he, had, he did a lot of punny stuff, but he also was, you know, he made amusing conversations and amusing sort of situations. But this book is so bleak at times, and it's such a, almost a, a science fiction-y apocalypse is how the book ends in this just wild series of events that it doesn't feel in any way like a sequel to Catch-22. It doesn't feel like it needed to be that. Like, he could have written this as anything and it would have been, you know, yeah. as as good. It's almost just like it was this cash-in to, like, let's go on the Catch-22 name and Yossarian is still kind of the main character and let's do that. And it just feels, I think because of that, the whole thing has this tawdry you know, paycheck feel to it that just doesn't work at all. This is a book that I only read for the first time last year. And I've read Catch-22, I don't know, six times in my life. And I've tried to read Closing Time a number of times. Like, I've read the first hundred pages of this book probably four times and never could just push through and do it. And the pandemic just allowed me that time. And I was like, <laughs> I've got to finish this. And I did. And I am not better for it. I don't like Closing Time at all. It's a It's a lousy <laughs> book. So... I don't I don't even know how much more I want to talk about it. Like it's yeah. it's it's a book that is immediately out of your mind when you finish it. Like it's so crazy and it's so like meaningless. I realize if if you can really invest in that book and don't hold a lot of love for Catch-22, yeah. maybe it would do something for you, but it does feel like it feels like like Scream 4, <laughs> like where it was just later and everybody's old and it's like, what's the point of any of this? Like this could have just been another horror movie. I don't know. Like it's a very weird comparison. No, no. I do like it. I do it's like just, it. It's just kind of how it struck me. Like it's not anything. Yeah. And and again, I like Joe Heller as a writer outside of Catch Twenty Two. I like some of his other books, but I did not care for closing time and just it, it's it's pointless. I don't know. It's pretty pointless. 
this might be an unfair question, but do you have any idea how much Joe Heller got paid for closing time? No, I have no idea. Ah. I I mean, he didn't publish a lot of books in his life. He he wasn't a super prolific writer. Like famously, after Catch Twenty Two, his next book doesn't come out for thirteen years. Like this is and, and Catch Twenty Two was his like his first book. So, you know, when you have that kind of success that young, there's a lot of writers you can point to who really never bother to try to reach what they did in their first book. Yeah, Heller did write some really complicated, really long books. He wrote Something Happened, which was a really boring, complicated book. Oh, I remember but, you reading that. Yeah, and it's 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 in a it's an impressive feat of writing, but it's not an interesting, fun book to read in any way. Especially because yeah. this is his follow up to Catch Twenty Two, uh, where it's just six hundred pages of just pedantic like life and it just just drags and it doesn't nothing happens for so long that it's a really tough book but i you know if you're him and you want to really try something you've already written you know one of the the best books of the 20th century do whatever you want i suppose right yeah this isn't a case where you're going to keep trying to top yourself and doing stuff so he's just kind of experimenting and you know good for him i guess but then to loop back around to catch 22 so much later and try to hack out some sort of sequel. It was a mistake. Yeah. So I, that's. I think that's really enough. <laughs> I, I I wanted to include it just because I didn't realize until we had been down this road that this book was out in '94, and I I couldn't let it slide that just not talking about it on this show because I just I it was it's infuriating <laughs> that it exists. I don't know. It just really bothers me. Well, I think what's interesting about Joe Heller's boondoggle of 1994 is that he probably wasn't doing much else in 1994. Unlike the owner of our next boondoggle, which is the Steven Spielberg restaurant dive exclamation point. Yes. So talk about things where you have a useless project in a year where you have a lot of very useful and impactful projects. Yeah. So Spielberg had overall a good year in 94, you would say, yes? Yes. I mean, he didn't have a new movie come out, but he did win all those Oscars at the 94 Oscars. Yeah. For, for the him. 93 movies, yeah. Yeah, so, so Dude is riding a high, and while he's working on the things that get him to the 94 Oscars, he's apparently with Katzenberg also developing something uh, new and unexpected, which is a, a theme restaurant. So this was <laughs> in the period of time where, you know, Planet Hollywood was a thing, and Hard Rock Cafe was a big thing, and Rainforest Cafe, and all those things. Um, and so they decided to spend $7 million um, in LA to open a restaurant called Dive Exclamation Point. Yeah. And so I think they, they connect this to the fact that Spielberg was like into undersea exploration. So he was like, you know, what really works under the sea? Uh, restaurants. And yeah. so. So, so they so they launched this restaurant. It's like it looks like a submarine on the inside. There's like periscopes where you can like go and look up the periscope and spy on people on like Santa Monica Boulevard or wherever they were. Fun. Um, and it opened in 1994. But the the thing that this restaurant did is every 45 minutes, uh, a guy would yell, "Prepare to dive," and then lights would start flashing. And they would pump into the like sound in the restaurant, like the groaning and creaking of a submarine going underwater. And there were these like porthole windows that they would fill that would look like they were filling up with water. Bubbles would fly up. And so it simulated the restaurant actually going underwater. 
which of course it didn't really do, but mm. um, simulated the restaurant going underwater. Um, they say that this was uh, this effect was irritating to adult <laughs> uh, adult diners and terrifying for young children. Yeah. So really effective. The other thing that they did is they had a uh, submarine themed menu. So they started just wanting to sell submarine sandwiches. That was it. That were like twelve dollars a piece, which in nineteen ninety four is a lot of money for a submarine sandwich. But that's a lot uh, of markup, I think, on a on a hoagie, right? <laughs> it is. It is. You can go to Subway and get. I mean, e- even now it's like a what five fifty foot long because I think the five dollar foot long is only. Like, but yeah. anyway, it's you can even now submarine sandwiches are much cheaper. So so uh, eleven ninety five for gourmet submarine sandwich. But then they realized that that wasn't sufficient, and so they expanded the menu. But the menu full of puns and um and all of that. Also on the menu uh, with all of the puns were quotations from authors like Byron, Whitman, Shakespeare, and uh, Sting, apparently. Oh. So, for example, you're you're browsing the submarine sandwiches where the word sub is in all caps, just to remind you you're on a submarine. Nice. Submarine sandwich, uh, superb uh, salads. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, substantial salads. That was it. Oh. Um, substantial. And next to your uh, the, your choice of salads, it would say something like, put your talent in your work and your genius in your life. Interesting. Why? We don't know why. Inspiration. Um, Inspiration. A lot of weird decisions being made here at Dive Exclamation Point. So Oof. anyway, it opens in 1994. It's actually a celebrity hangout, allegedly, like Tom Hanks. <laughs> it's like the like, Viper Room. <laughs> like, River like, Phoenix died at this dive restaurant. <laughs> there are like lists of celebrities that went there. Oh, my I God. I don't know. I guess because to support Spielberg and Katzenberg. But <laughs> Liam Neeson said- showed up as Oscar Schindler. <laughs> Really inappropriate. Very awkward. And like then tourists from Iowa. Oof. Um, Come get your picture taken with Eamon Girth, the Nazi (laughs) (laughs) camp commander. Yuck. It's like all of Spielberg's movies threaded yeah. together in submarine. And it's all like his inappropriate serious movies. Like, come see Whoopi Goldberg when she played a slave in the color purple. Yuck. This is this doesn't make me want to eat a tuna sandwich. And then you hear the captain go, prepare to dive. Oh, You're like, oh God. Oh geez. This is all Can't over the me, place. Whoopi, I gotta dive. Yeah. Um the other thing that they would do is they you would think, you know, like some seafood no, this is a seafood restaurant, but like some sea themed restaurants, they have like fish tanks and like lobster tanks no no they had video monitors where like fish and sea turtles would swim by but apparently there was also a fat guy belly flopping into a swimming pool on the video (laughs) i don't know why that guy is doing that near a submarine that seems like that seems dangerous so so. when the restaurant would like dive it was just the video monitors the place didn't move right no the, the place didn't move they had like porthole windows that had like the several panes of glass where you could it looked like it was filling up with water and they would like oh. bubbles would so it looked like it was going underwater but no it wouldn't actually move thank god it sounded like and looked like it was going underwater so yeah so dive didn't last all that long one of the reasons that they say it didn't last is one the reviews of the food were just terrible oh just awful <laughs> they spent did all their not, money on the effects he did did not invest in great chefs you could buy souvenirs there at, like you could at like a, a at a bubba gumps or you know mm-hmm. all those kind of places including you could spend 580 dollars for a dive leather jacket <laughs> Which I'm really you, disappointed that I couldn't find a picture of. I'm telling you, I'll bet if you went to L.A. and went to like consignment shops today, you could find yes. a couple of those old dive jackets. Yes. Just hanging out be. at the Salvation Army store on La Brea. Amazing. But they yeah. were saying like in general in theme restaurants, souvenirs account for like 30 or 40 percent of their profits. And at sure. dive, it was like 
less than 10 percent <laughs> well not excited okay. about that so yeah they did open they they said when they opened it that they thought they might open up to 60 dives mm. uh but they opened one other dive in las vegas which actually stayed open a little bit longer than the la one but dive la closed in 1999 only mm only what was that five years after it opened and then uh dive las vegas closed in the early 2000s so did not last very long they said they did have a farewell party for dive but spielberg chose not to attend sure <laughs> no good bro no you don't want to be associated with this any longer no can you so, i know you probably don't have this right at hand where in vegas was the the dive restaurant I don't know. No, I didn't see that in any of the articles that I read. I'm sure I didn't know if that was like in, you know, it was crammed into Planet hotels. Hollywood or, you know, like uh, it's yeah. in New York, New York, you know. I'm sure, I'm sure it was somewhere like real chintzy. Yeah. Um, there was a review that I read of this restaurant where uh, the reviewer said that a friend of his he was dining with turned to him and said, this restaurant makes me embarrassed to be a human in the 90s. <laughs> I just thought that was a great quote. Oh, man. Like, it sounds like it was just horrifying. Just horrifying. What I like is that, again, the so the, the 94 Oscars were probably in March or April. I think back then they were around then. They might have been a little earlier than they are now. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, he wins, you know, best director, best picture for Schindler's List. It's a big thing. Jurassic Park wins all of the technical awards. Like, it's a great big year. And he's like, no, I got it. I'm going to go open a restaurant. Like, this is seriously what he wanted to do <laughs> was I just want to own a restaurant. He didn't direct another movie for four years. <laughs> Now, at the same time, that fall, they start DreamWorks. So, like, yeah, yeah. 94 yeah. is still a big year for him, even if you take out the Oscars. Like, they start a major, you know, there's not a lot of new movie, the like, studios in that level. So, him and Katzenberg licking their wounds from Dive <laughs> go open you, a studio. Do you think Geffen came in? Geffen? That's how you say his name. Yeah. Geffen? Geffen? Is it yeah. GIF or GIF? No. Geffen came in. <laughs> And he and like Katzenberg and Spielberg were both like, okay, what if it's a restaurant that's in a plane, and you yell "fly," and then it looks like it feels like it's flying? And he's like, no, no, guys, we should do more movies. That's what we should. <laughs> Why do. don't we go back to making movies? <laughs> and Spielberg's like, you know what? This is not a bad idea. Good call. It's a good call. Yeah, man. Yeah, uh, I, I, I never heard of this. Like, this is clearly a West Coast thing. So, like, I don't know why we ever would have yeah. brushed up against this, even though they were open for longer than I thought, really. I thought they both, those restaurants didn't last nearly that long. But, mm -hmm. but no, I never heard of this. And I just think it's it's insane. It's insane. Yeah. yeah. You should go look at, like, there are lots of pictures of it online. The outside is obnoxious. It looks like the t like the nose of a, of a, not just a submarine, a yellow submarine, which feels like a little bit of a ripoff. But nice. anyway. You can see the top of a submarine and like the inside just looks stupid. It's like all like stainless steel and like, oh, and there were these, uh, I think I talked about the periscopes that you could like, you could look outside, but you could also spy on other diners, which mm. seems like a weird choice. Inappropriate. Um, and then after every dive, the captain would say like, oh, what did you see in the periscopes? Did you see stuff? And then he would play something like, I can see clearly now because... You Wonderful. can see with the, yeah, just, and, and, and like everyone would groan, like, ugh. So God. do you think that like the idea was you could check on other diners and then like order from their tables? <laughs> do you see what the, the guy in the brown shirt is eating over there? Can I get that sandwich and uh, that girl's milkshake? And like, what was the point of that? How many women got drinks sent to their table because some guy with a periscope was creeping on them? Like, was, especially it was like a lewd Hollywood hangout. Like Charlie Sheen's in there just trying to get that <laughs> wet at dive. <laughs> It's just gross. Oh my god! Man, oh my no, god. that is I don't I don't care for that. So the boondoggle of dive, uh, Spielberg, good try, I would say. Ludicrous. 
And while that was probably a, a pretty big money loser, I mean, you know, it still lasted oh, yeah. a couple of years, but like Never considering made how high problem. concept and high tech that was and how expensive it must be just to run a restaurant in LA. Yeah. Um, that's some sunk cost right there. Yeah. However, I would say it probably doesn't compare to the unbelievable money loser that was the Canadian Football League's attempted expansion into America. Oh, man. <laughs> now, I'm so excited. This story is a little involved because this didn't just take place in 94, but 94 is when they doubled down. They went for it in 94. This was going to work, right? So not to go into too much CFL history, as far as I can gather... Canadian football isn't even that popular in Canada. Canada is still <laughs> hockey town. Like, they don't really care. Even though the Canadian Football League has existed for a really long time. Like, it has been around for, I think, almost a century. Like, it's a it's an old league, right? Yeah. But they have slightly different rules than American football. And they've never really caught on, even with a TV audience, which we'll get to. But, you know, it never competes in any realistic way with the NFL or... You know, even with like the USFL, the other offshoot leagues, it just it, it's not something that has any real interest here. And I don't really get a sense that it's that popular there. It seems that from what I've read, they make most of their money in stadium, which is a terrible financial way to run a league. Like they play a longer season. I think they play 18 games, but they still don't play all the time. They're not like basketball. They're not playing 80 games a year. Like, I don't know how this makes money, but apparently that's, they build this fan base in these cities and that's what they do. So the first attempted expansion into America was when the USFL dropped off and the NFL went on a strike in 82 and they tried to put just CFL games on TV. And as you can imagine, people were not interested in that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's basically like scabs. It's just like watching, you know, minor league baseball. It's nothing. Right. When the USFL closed, some of those teams tried to get into the CFL, thinking like, you know, like this, it's just the mismanagement of the USFL is why the USFL went under. It had some traction with towns, right? And so the main team was the Arizona Outlaws, tried to get into the Canadian Football League, and then Canada was putting all these restrictions on what that would look like, so they just ended up not doing it, right? And I think really it was that CFL wanted to do their own version of teams in America. They didn't want to just pick up this other team from an already existing league and, and how that would work. So 1993, they, they pilot a team basically to be like, well, this is going to be the one team we're going to do in America. We'll see how this works. And with all of America to choose from, obviously they pick Sacramento, California. <laughs> and so the Sacramento gold miners become the first team and they, the first CFL games ever played in America are in Sacramento. Oh, no. Yeah, it's it's a weird way to go. But as we'll see from the other teams, there was a reason why then the teams were placed where they were. And it was really to kind of create kind of pockets where then you could have teams that wouldn't like they wouldn't have to travel. There's not teams just on both coasts or something mm. where then teams are traveling constantly. Right. So uh, in 94, even though Sacramento wasn't super successful in 93 on the field or really with the town of Sacramento, it was still like, there's no other teams there. There's nothing really in Sacramento besides right. the Kings. There's no other major sports teams or anything. So, you know, they play in the summer. So it wasn't, you know, they had to directly compete with anything. So in 94, instead of just writing off Sacramento, let, they say, well, let's put a bunch more teams. So this is in 94. They go for it, right? Yeah. And the three new teams that they add are the Las Vegas Posse. So that there's now another team on the West Coast. Yep. And the Las Vegas Posse was the first professional sports team in Las Vegas. 
and of any real sort, because back then there was really this idea that you can't have professional sports in Vegas because of the gambling, that it would yeah. all be tawdry and the modern day threw all that away. And now gambling's legal everywhere. Yeah. So nobody cares. You we know, do dra not care. Draft Kings and everything else. So. Yeah. So that was that the posse played at UNLV stadium, which is a pretty small stadium it was Sam Boyd stadium. And so this is now a professional sports team in Las Vegas in the middle of the summer, uh, playing at a 13,000 seat stadium. So that sounds terrible. Yes. As you can imagine, things do not go well for the Las Vegas posse as a franchise, <laughs> but on the alternate side of things, they did put a team in Baltimore and the Colts had left 10 years earlier, uh, to go to Indianapolis. And Baltimore, still wounded by this, then accepts this new franchise. Uh, and they at first named them the Baltimore Colts. And as you can imagine, the NFL sued them. Yes. <laughs> Said can't you do can't that. do that. No. Nope. So then for a while, they changed it to the Baltimore Football Club. And then ultimately the Baltimore <laughs> Stallions. Oh, my God. They couldn't come up with something else in the interim. Like, it's not that hard to come up with a name. Yeah. And you would think, you know, you're going to run into legal issues, right? Yeah. Like, like, if they come back, the CFL, and they're like, let's put a team in Washington. I got it. The Redskins. I don't think that's going to go no. over. You know? No, no. But this was a very successful. This is the only successful team in this group huh. in in any metric, in games or in the stadium. Uh, the town of Baltimore loved the Baltimore football club, the Baltimore Stallions. Uh, <laughs> it's it, just because they were so sad because they missed football. Like, that's a, that's a logical place then to put a team. Right. And they actually are the one thing that kind of doesn't work with this whole narrative of this complete boondoggle of a thing. Yeah. But ultimately, it's the whole the whole endeavor. Right. Yeah. And that's also aided by the fact that the third team that they added. I mean, now Sacramento is the capital of California and is a fairly big city. Yeah. Uh, Las Vegas, even then, was a growing city. It's not as big as it is now. And Baltimore is a, you know, yeah. a big American city. So where do you naturally put the fourth team? I got it. Shreveport, Louisiana. <laughs> oh, no. And That's so a terrible idea. <laughs> the Shreveport Pirates were born uh, playing at Independence Stadium, which isn't a stadium for anything that I can gather. The Independence Bowl, the college bowl, used to be played there. I don't even know if it still is. But there's no major college there. There's no, there's nothing there, right? Like, where is Shreveport in the list of Louisiana cities? Like, uh, I mean, it's got to be third, right? At, I mean, at obviously, best. it's no higher than third, but. Right. I mean, but I don't think it's that big a town. Like, I, I yeah. don't get the impression that this is a large city, even comparable to Baltimore, which doesn't have a huge population. The population of Shreveport is 192,000. So that's probably not quite big enough to support a major league sports team. Probably not. Because, like, how many people fit in, like, the biggest football, like, NFL stadiums? Oh, I mean, the, now the biggest ones have 100,000 seats. Like, yeah. they're like the Rose Bowl. So you could fit, like, half the people in Shreveport yeah. in, this, in the biggest NFL stadium. Right. And and they played, again, at the Independence Stadium, which probably was a bigger stadium yeah. than, say, Sam Boyd Stadium in Vegas, but still not a huge stadium. However, of these four teams in 94, they did have the second best attendance. Now, the Baltimore team, their average attendance was equal to all of the other teams combined. But Shreveport did average like 17,000, 18,000 a game, which isn't really that bad. Oh, and their okay. first game, they had 32,000 people, which is a, you know, oh. a, big, a big get there. So not bad. Good for that. Uh, so Sacramento in its second season only had 14,000 people. And then the Las Vegas team only averaged about nine. Oh, yep. so Shreveport, just to just to come back to this, is is the third largest city in Louisiana, unless you consolidate like the 
population of Lafayette, Louisiana, which I've never heard of, mm. um, then it ranks fourth. Oh. So it could be third, but it also might be fourth behind a city that I have never heard of. I've heard of Lafayette, but I don't know anything about it. Why? Why do you need? Why wouldn't you combine it? Is it just the counties? I, like, yeah, I, oh, is I it don't the know. parishes? Is that the problem in Louisiana? It, it might be. I'm not sure exactly what the issue is, but there is some math that gets you to it being the fourth largest oh. city in Louisiana. Okay. Anyway, does not seem like a natural place no, to put a professional no, no, no. team. And a lot happens to all of these teams in the in the next year, basically. The entire CFL in America experience is basically centered around 94 and 95. They really gave it a shot, but 94 was when they really put in the big effort. Yeah. We're really going to make this push. They yep. tried to add a fifth team at the same time, which would have been in Orlando. And apparently, like, it was in the process of happening and the reason it didn't was the ownership group just didn't show up at the press conference to announce <gasps> it like it was all happening everybody was ready for it and then they just didn't show up and then it just oh, never happened no. the orlando manatees will never forget ye did oh not God. happen also the manatees is a terrible name for a team they're like yeah, slow sad animals i wish i hope that like the logo idea was the old dolphins logo where it's just a manatee wearing a football helmet like, like that would have been all amazing but and it's just like this big dumb cow. Oh, it would have been great. <laughs> but but that didn't happen. Oh. Uh, the Vegas team, as I mentioned, uh, had a horrible time getting fans there yeah. and did set the all-time record for the lowest attendance ever at a CFL game, which was 2,350 <gasps> people. Oh, my God. I bet that game was amazing to go to, though. Oh, you could sit anywhere you want. Like, they must have been giving away hot dogs. Apparently, like Vegas tried really hard to get fans to come out. They'd have showgirls and, like... Apparently, one of Makes the coach, sense. one of the coach's strategies at one point was to have the like showgirl cheerleaders like just hang out by the other team's sideline to try to distract them, <laughs> and they only <laughs> lost that game by like three touchdowns. But they also had bikini contests at halftime. Like it was gross. Like, oh my the, god, that's so and, gross. And again, they're playing in the desert in the middle of the summer, so the games are like 120 degrees. Like just horrifying. Like oh, that's terrible. Yeah. And this is basically why I think we'll never have a baseball team in Vegas without a dome. But, yeah. but now that like they've got teams out there, I don't know if if the Raiders play in a dome. Uh, I think they do. I mean, maybe you could put a baseball team in there too. Yeah. I, mean, I would assume now that Vegas is getting all of these sports teams, I think that's a possibility. Yeah, eventually. Um, but yeah, the the Vegas team that did not work out. After they only played one year, uh, they're the only one of these teams that did only get the one year. Uh, Sacramento played ninety three and ninety four, and then moved to San Antonio. But Vegas, they were so financially just screwed as the season went on that their last game of the season that was supposed to be a home game they just didn't play at home i think they ended up having to play it in winnipeg or something against the the blue bombers was the way that this all played out and it was just a disaster so the league was like we've got to get rid of this team they tried to sell it and move it uh jimmy buffett was behind one of the ownership groups oh and was going to move the team to jackson mississippi that hotbed of population and oh my god it was just crazy i guess there was just the nfl must have had such a deal that like you can't put teams anywhere we have teams yeah that they were you know and and i don't think these teams would have wanted to compete in that way no that that didn't work there was also a plan for the team to go to miami so again it was this idea of putting a team down there orlando miami it was still going to be the manatees they were still going with this um but the, manatees, the dolphins the, not there then no, no, the Dolphins were there, but I think the idea was that it was going to be closer to Orlando. That, I don't think it was supposed oh. to be in Miami or in Orlando. It was just supposed to be some like in a in suburbs the, in, in between, area. sort of. Yeah. But by the time that actually comes about, that plan, the this whole thing had gone away. 
Yeah. But they did have a dispersal draft. We I don't think I've ever we've ever had anything like this in a major sport here because teams don't tend to just fold. But apparently when this happens uh, in this league, they had a draft where you could then take players from this team. And in a funny bit of like, this is how inept this whole system was. In consecutive years, in 95 and 96, uh, in the CFL draft, uh, players who had died were drafted. Oh, no! <laughs> uh, including one of the players from the Las Vegas Posse, who was in a car accident in like December oh. of 94. Uh, and apparently no one updated their roles. And so he was drafted in uh, 1995 and no one realized it until basically that point. Oh, Daryl no. Robertson, we'll never forget you. It was a weird, weird set of circumstances. And then again, the following year, almost the exact same circumstance where uh, a, a person who had died months earlier was drafted. So, oh my God. That's, that's a real thing that happened. That is crazy. crazy. How, I mean, how much money did they have to invest, like, to set up entire football teams? Like, I know they didn't build stadiums or anything crazy like that, but still, yeah. set up entire football teams to play for a season or two. That, like, yeah. they must have lost so much money. Yeah, they estimate that, like, the Vegas team lost tens of millions of dollars. Like, because it was just the infrastructure. It's just doing that. You're, you did some publicity, not a lot. Yeah. But it's still, everybody has to get paid. Like, this is, you know, it's a big organization to run a football team. Ugh. Now, that's uh, the least successful of the group by a lot is Vegas. Vegas was a complete disaster. Yeah. Uh, Shreveport did play two years and had some okay attendance, but still not enough to support the team. Uh, they only won eight games in those two years. They were 3-15 and 15 and 5-13. and 13. Oh, So they no. were improving. They were getting there, but it didn't really work out. Then the Sacramento team moved to San Antonio. And then that San Antonio team is there in the 95 season. The 95 season is the last season that all of this happens. But again, they tried to go for it. Like they were still putting in this effort, even though they've had so many problems. And Baltimore is the only place where this is working. Yeah. They added two more teams in 95. Now, again, <gasps> Vegas has disappeared and, yeah. and Sacramento moved, but they added the Birmingham Barracudas in Birmingham, <laughs> Alabama. <laughs> and then finally, a big city, they put in uh, the Mad Dogs in Memphis. Uh, oh, none yeah. of this worked. Isn't none there a theory that like major league football teams don't work very well in parts of the south because of college football yeah. like yeah. college football yeah. is such a thing that right. actually nobody cares about the professional teams that's the theory and that's why there is this big gray area between basically the atlanta falcons and the new orleans saints where there's just nothing right yeah yeah uh, even though these this is a football crazed area of the country but that's part of the theory i mm -hmm. think they thought by putting teams there it's in, again it's in the summer maybe this will work but like yeah. if it's in the summer like Maybe put it in some colder places. I don't know. Like yeah. that feels to me like that might be an issue. I didn't really see that anywhere, but yeah. But this whole thing goes away at the end of '95. At the end of '95, when the Baltimore Stallions win the championship. Oh <gasps> no! <laughs> they went to the Grey <laughs> Cup and they defeated the Doug Flutie Calgary Stampede. Oh, Flutie! To, to win the Grey Cup in '95. Uh, just crazy, crazy set of circumstances. Uh, and then, and then the team went away. Well. Baltimore is the again the weird exception. All the yeah. rest of this all folds up. All these other teams just disappear. And this is I think the one thing CFL fans will point to as being the good outcome of this whole crazy thing. Yeah. Is the Montreal Alouettes were a team in the CFL for decades earlier and and, and for a long time they were this team, right? Yeah. And then something some circumstances happened in the 80s where that team collapsed and that just goes away. So they take the Baltimore Stallions and move them to Montreal. Oh. Now, 
it's not exactly like here where they'll move a team and it's just the whole team up and moves and it's the whole same thing. Like technically, I think they had to release all the players and like they had to they had to dismantle that team. But then they managed to rehire everybody, like some people and and rebuild a team. Yeah. And the Montreal Alouettes are a really popular team in Montreal by all accounts. Huh. So they say they actually the benefit of the whole CFL in America experience was that the Alouettes managed to come back. So that was fun. That's great. Yeah. But that's essentially the crazy boondoggle. that was just the hand over fist money loser that was the CFL teams in America. Now, one thing I found that I thought was interesting, because, again, I don't think the CFL is that popular anywhere. But the CFL does have a a TV deal in America now. I think some of their games are on ESPN2. Every once in a while, you just kind of run across like yeah. the Hamilton Tiger Cats playing, you know. Yeah. But apparently, uh, the the ESPN audience isn't that big. They don't give them that much money. It's like twenty twenty five million or something like that for their deal compared to like the four billion dollars that they give the NFL. Yeah. Um, but a quarter, a fifth of the CFL TV audience still comes from America. Oh. So the fact that that's even part of this. A sport that literally no one talks about here and you never see anything about. The fact that, uh, you know, 20% of the audience is coming from American television is is kind of amazing. Like That's great. Yeah. I mean, good for them. Like, that's, um, you know, at least they got something out of it, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I do hope someday that they try to put a CFL team in America again because I think that would be fun. I think that would be pretty good. Yeah. I like when they do the other random leagues, you know? Like, yeah. remember there was, what was it, the AFL or the AAFL last year? But then the pandemic killed that league. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't remember I don't remember much about it, but I do yeah. remember there was another league. I just remember it all of a sudden was on TV and like there were a couple old players from the NFL in it. Yeah. And yeah. like they're they're talking about re uh, resurrecting the XFL one of these days. Like I think that is gonna happen. Yeah. But yeah. Uh but I remember the AFL was just getting started when the pandemic hit and like they only got a couple games in and then had to like close the league because they they couldn't yeah. do any and like they had not built up any kind of infrastructure or popularity to then let's wait a couple of years and bring it back. <laughs> I mean, I think if they can if they can get the funding for it, I assume they'll try it again because clearly the pandemic impacted that. I do remember we went to one of the arena league games here in Chicago and that yeah. was fun. I I really liked that. That was, we had a good time. Yeah, nice. arena league is almost like a minor league independent thing. Yeah. It just seems like teams are switching leagues and just changing their names and whatever. So it is yeah. kind of wild, but it's kind of entertaining. Cool. Like the games are real cool. high scoring and you know, it's crazy. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. And then what was it? Remember there was like a lingerie league for a while? Is that still a thing? I do not remember that. Oh, I mm. think when Dave still lived here, we would talk. We never went, but we would talk about it because it was out in the suburbs and it was just like this salacious Hooters type Gross. <laughs> but like, I remember like, I want to feel like a game was on TV and like they're really playing. Like it wasn't like, you know, they were playing tackle football, <laughs> but it was just women in lingerie. It was just stupid. Yeah. Gross. The lingerie league? Is that what that was called? I don't, I, I don't remember. You're yeah. asking the wrong person, my friend. I thought you would have had this, like no. the Chicago <laughs> Honeys or whatever playing in the lingerie league. I don't know what they were called. Mm, don't love it. I feel gross um, talking about this as the Chicago Sky has just won a championship. Yes, <laughs> this yes. Is, this is sad. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm mad at you for bringing it up. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. Um, well, okay. So we've covered three boondoggles that were like real impactful things that happened. People lost money, things launched and closed and actually happened, actually happened. Now I want to talk about the boondoggle that could have been, um, but was narrowly avoided, which is the live action Krusty the Clown Simpson spinoff. 
was, Why was this a good idea? <laughs> it, I think the key to it was that it wasn't, and yeah. that's why it didn't actually happen. But there was this idea in 1994 that they were going to launch like a live action show focused on Krusty the, the Clown. Side note, I discovered while researching this that there was a plan in The Simpsons that there was going to be this reveal that Krusty and Homer were the same person, and that's why they're voiced by the same person, but then they just never did it. And I so, read that once that like that's if you look at them they're actually drawn almost the same yeah and you can kind of tell you can kind of see homer in there somewhere yeah right and so that was apparently going to be part of the plot and then they're like mm, no we don't really want to do that yeah, so yeah. anyway that's not connected to the show but 1994 the simpsons are in like what their fifth year sixth year around yeah, there yeah i think they just finished their fifth year yeah very popular and so 1994 matt Groening comes to like the Fox folks and he's like, I want to do this live action spinoff. He was really excited about it being live action. And so they wrote a pilot for it. Fox was on board and the, I, I have the plot of the pilot and it is bonkers, right? <laughs> so, okay, here's the idea. It's a Krusty the Clown spinoff. And basically the high level idea is he moves to LA and gets his own talk show. But here's what the plot was. So it starts with Krusty in like Springfield, again, live action played by Dan Castellaneta, who voices Homer and Krusty, but he was going to play him like live action. And I've only seen, I'm sure he's been in other things, but I've only seen that guy in anything live action as like the NPR type host on Parks and Rec. Do you remember oh, yeah, that? Yeah. When she yeah, was doing, yeah. and he was like, they were playing jazz with jazz, so they played two jazz things. Over yeah, yeah. Anyway, but even, that, really... even like back then, he used to be on the Tracy Ullman show, which is where everybody right. came from. And he yes. was, yeah, he was kind of small. He's not small, yeah. but he's kind of skinny and bald. Yeah. And like, that was just yeah. his look. Like, yeah. Yeah. And he was going to play Krusty. But the idea was Krusty like starts in Springfield and he's just like declining like in his popularity. So he's going to worse and worse and worse gigs. And so he does a gig at an organ and piano store and an organ like gets unlocked and rolls away and knocks some guy over a balcony and the guy dies and Krusty's blamed for his death. So he gets run out of Springfield. <laughs> So he moves to LA, right? So he's he's trying to do his thing in LA. He goes on like a, a Letterman type talk show. On the Letterman type talk show, for some reason, the host, I don't know if it's by Krusty's request or whatever as part of Krusty's appearance, puts on VR glasses in 1994 Whoa. when virtual reality was just like starting to be a thing wanders into traffic gets hit by a car and dies oh. so this is the second time that crusty is like involved in someone's murder this is the plot of the pilot <laughs> and so then crusty like gets called into the the exec's office and he thinks they're gonna fire him but they said the ratings from when that guy died were so high that you're gonna get your own show that's the pilot that's it and he's got his own show and then like episode two they're gonna like introduce the whole like be ca like cast of characters and, and everyone else that's gonna be around crusty that are gonna make up the show so this is the plan they're gonna do this live action crusty show and the writers are so particularly matt Greenegg, so focused on this one plot point they're focused on this idea that crusty is going to live in a house in la that's on stilts and beavers are chewing through the stilts right and the fox executives keep pointing out that like trained beavers are really expensive <laughs> as are mechanical beavers and so this idea that is supposed to be this running gag in the show the execs are like that is going to be really expensive and they're so focused on this beaver idea that they're like well maybe we should do it as an animated show 
Like that completely like ruins the whole live action component of it because they're so focused on this. And so they're, they want to do it. They they start to like, they agree to do it as an animated spinoff. And then it just kind of dies. They get less excited about it. And they start to work on Futurama. Oh. So like if they didn't, if they had gone ahead with this show, like this weird crusty spinoff could have run for like 16 seasons and we never would have had Futurama. <laughs> so thank God this didn't happen because Futurama is amazing. And oh. way better than this weird crusty show so yeah wow. like boondoggle that could have been the crusty spinoff oh my god i i only knew that this existed as a concept i didn't even realize they had that much planned for that show full-on script like allegedly full-on pilot script was written but but again it the thing that cracks me up about it is it's this one joke yeah and like just come up with a different running gag if you're so excited about this live action show. Like that like, was such a great joke. <laughs> it was such a great joke, such a critical part of the show that if they couldn't afford to do it, then they weren't going to do the show at all. Wow. I'm done. No. So uh, even so I don't know what you have about this, but even when yeah. the show is in Springfield, it was still supposed to be live action then? Like it's live yeah. action the whole time? Allegedly, like yes, full, as far as I know, full on live action show the whole time. Man. I have no evidence to the contrary, though. I'll be honest, there isn't a lot about this. So I read like a couple articles. I found one like Twitter thread from a guy who allegedly worked on or no, knew someone who worked on it. Yeah. And that was where I got kind of the full plot. So I mean, I got it from a Twitter thread. So take that for what it's worth. But otherwise, the articles are just like, they will have the fact that it was going to be live action, that um, Dan Castellaneta was going to play Krusty, and that, like, every article had the fact that it turned on this beaver joke, <laughs> like this beaver gag, <laughs> that the beavers would be too expensive if they were trained. Like, oh that God. was, that. <laughs> those are the facts in every article I could find about it, except for this one random Twitter thread. It was That's so, crazy. it's so weird. Yeah. Um. I just, I love this idea that, like... <laughs> And, like, I can't picture Dan Castellaneta as crusty. Like, that also yeah, seems I, crazy. I do wonder if he was, like, really, if he's made up, not not even yeah. prosthetically, if they just added a little, some clown stuff and some makeup, and he's doing that voice, I guess you could buy it. Like, I don't think that would be yeah. that much of a stretch. My real question is just that, like, this is still in the Simpsons world, right? So, like, was there a possibility that they were going to, like, bring in other live-action Simpsons characters? Like, was Hank Azaria going to play Moe? Like, was this something yeah. that was going to happen? Like, I, that just seems... Well, like, was Harry Shearer going to play Burns? How the hell was that going to happen? Like, Honestly, my other question is, like, would all the humans be yellow? Like, right. the, the, the weren't Krusty? Because Krusty's made up. Right. But do the humans reflect the Simpsons world, or do they reflect, yeah. like, the real world? I don't know. I, I mean, don't know you would almost... Like, I don't... I can't visually imagine how you would take the Simpsons and turn it into a live-action show otherwise. Because otherwise, visually, you're not going to get that compa you know, that neat no. kind of linear thing that you would need to create this sort of show. Yeah. So it just seems like nuts like it seems like like such a far-fetched idea and why like why even after only five years of the simpsons why would you start tearing yeah. it apart to do something like this you know yeah it does seem like they folded pretty quickly when the fox executives were like this would really work if it was animated like you can do that gag and they were like right cool <laughs> and then they <laughs> let's and just then do another show else. Yeah. yeah but they like had totally agreed to do the spinoff as yeah. an animated and then it seems like it just died. Like, it yeah, seems like yeah. they just stopped working on it. I mean, I guess the idea of having another Simpsons show at that point was probably real appealing. You yeah, know, like like I'm how sure. they did like that weird spinoff of Family Guy. Or, you know, like if you get yeah. a big show like that and yeah. maybe it's, you know, for a lot of reasons for the best that they didn't do it. But like the Simpsons at that point to then have propped up a live action show just seems 
like a bonkers idea. Like I can see where they would just do another animated show, I guess, and have it just yeah. be completely different. But, but I do want, like, it makes me wonder now, like it never occurred to me really, but like, you know, the Flintstones was the biggest primetime co- cartoon show of all time until the Simpsons. Right. Yeah. And then in 1994, they make a live action Flintstones movie. Are we yeah. going to down the road, get a live action Simpsons movie? Like it's been on for 30 years. So like, it's a little different than yeah. the Flintstones, but at the same time, like this is something that has happened where you have these cartoon shows. Scooby-Doo became a yeah. live action, like things like that uh, with a completely different cast. But you know, is that something we're actually going to look at? And then how, and then why? <laughs> Good questions. Yeah. But I mean, at least the, like the Flintstones and Scooby-Doo, they have like real looking people in them. I worry yeah. if they do a live action Simpson show, it's either going to be so CGI that it, is, it's like the live action Lion King that is just a different kind of CGI. Right. Or it's like everybody wearing Simpsons Halloween costumes. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you can dress up as Bart for Halloween and it's not like yeah. I don't I don't want a live action show to look like that. It's, it's like, just like we, like people in Disney theme parks, like there's yeah. giant Homer costumes and like it's like, like Pee Wee's Playhouse. Like yeah. I don't I just don't I don't get that. Yeah. I, so my guess would be if this show like failed and they couldn't make it work, I mean, for whatever reason, even if it was a dumb reason, I don't think they're going to come back to it. I'm no. putting my prediction on paper right now. No live action Simpsons ever. None. I mean, I don't think, yeah, I think that's probably true. I, it does feel yeah. unlikely, but you know, I also can't really imagine the world without the Simpsons at this point. Like I can't picture this show ever ending, even though it seems like every couple years when the contract comes up there is talk that like oh well this could end like they might finish yeah. the show now and then it just gets it'll always get you know renewed for two years or it never it's not a year by year thing but it won't be like we're gonna do it for five more years yeah you know? yeah but it just keeps going and like you know they're on season what 32 33 right now like this show's been on all of most people's lives like it's it's kind of amazing so i mean i would imagine the creative team must be getting tired like <laughs> Well, I mean, some of those people have died and a lot of people have yeah. moved on. Like this isn't, I don't even know that that's, you know, part of this anymore. Like part of the calculus, like they keep saying about Saturday night live that when Lauren Michaels dies, they might just have to stop the show, even though yeah. he does it. Like we don't see what he does. So it's hard to say like, well, why couldn't it just keep going? Yeah. But I think it's almost like that's just part of this. Well, he's been involved the whole time, except for those couple of years in the eighties that yeah. like, why would we keep going without him? But The Simpsons, I don't actually know in a day-to-day way even how much graining has to do with the show anymore. Uh, James L. Brooks doesn't have anything to do with the show, and Sam Simon's dead. So, like, it's yeah. this is the original group, and then so many of the writers have come and gone. Yeah. But, I mean, less of the writers, but I wonder if some of the, like, key voice actors left. Like, if, if right. Dan Castellaneta stopped doing Homer, like, right. can they find some? I mean, the Muppets did it, so maybe they can, but, like, yeah. the, it's just so specific that... Right. If, you know, Homer or Marge or Lisa, like if they leave, right. can you replace? I think the question becomes, can you replace them? Well, this is something else that's come up in recent years where Harry Shearer almost quit a couple years ago. And who does the, he, who does he, he do? does Burns and he does a lot of the he doesn't do any of the family, but he does a yeah. lot of the other characters. And yeah. so but there's only because there's only five core cast members on that show like that. This isn't a show. They have other people who do this or that, yeah. but they don't have a lot of core people. And if he were to leave, it would create this big problem in the show just because they, you know, they, there's so many characters, but almost everybody is really important. Yeah. And so when he was going to leave, there was this talk of him quitting the show over like a real dispute. It wasn't like, I'm tired of doing this. Yeah. I think the idea was they were going to try to just soldier on, but 
you know, he doesn't do Bart, you know, he doesn't do yeah. Marge. Like if, if you lose one of the family members, that is a big deal. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, th they were very public. Like we're not going to cancel the show because Harry Shearer is going to quit. But at the same time, what would that have done to the fan base? Would people, would people feel differently? They don't change almost anything on the Simpsons. It's a very consistent show. Yeah. Like they're not going to do a poo anymore, which is for the best, yeah. but you know, they don't really change much, you know? Yeah. So, and you know, maybe to their detriment to some degree as the quality of the show isn't quite what it used to be, but it's still popular-ish and, yeah. you know, for Fox for animation. But I don't know, like I, if I had to guess, like I, I, the show's got to end at some point, right? But maybe to your point, it really would be when one of the main cast members leaves the show or dies, like that would have to be it. And they just all came into the show just young enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. that this hasn't been an issue. So, and I do wonder, like the family seems. Look, I don't know anything about voice acting, but the family seems like everyone's got such specific sounding voices that they would be hard to replicate. Like, honestly, it's amazing that the Muppets have done what they've done because you've got a Kermit that sounds mostly like the old Kermit, though not exactly. And yep. you know, like most everyone sounds roughly the same, but like. Is there someone else who can do Marge? I don't know. Like, right. it's just, they have such specific voices that yeah. you've spent so much time listening to because there's, I mean, I don't know if it's true, but I think there's way more hours of Simpsons content than there is of basically anything else. Basically like, anything, yeah. Like, I just, I, I think that would be really, really difficult. And so yeah. my prediction would be if someone who voices one of the family members goes, that's going to be the end. That would be it, yeah. But yeah, I mean, this isn't something they've run into yet. And and none of those actors are really that old. Like no. it, it sort, they all started pretty young. So it actually, you know, they could easily do another ten years when the show is in its forty third season. Like in their yeah. episode one thousand or whatever. Like yeah. just just crazy. But and it's um, funny because like I know they sort of do other things. What was the show that we were watching where the woman who voiced Lisa was on it? Yeah, um, she was on Herman's head. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, why Why do I know her? And that's her I... voice. Her voice yeah. is Lisa's voice. Yeah, that's, that's what I mean. Like Julie Kavner's voice is basically Marge like that. So if they were to leave the show, it'd be real disconcerting because this yeah. is somebody like trying to impersonate these people's real voice, not like a yeah. voice they're putting on. You know, you hear yeah. people who can do a Homer. You don't hear people do a Lisa, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's odd. It's it would be odd. And yeah, Herman's head in that way. Very disconcerting to watch. Yes. Yeah. Very confusing. Because she's also like a character like who's not Lisa. <laughs> yeah. You know, like the stuff she says, she's like an adult doing, you know. Yeah. They're not yeah. Lisa things. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I know if I had to, I, I, you know, if I had to guess, I think the Simpsons is on the rest of my life. Somehow they'll just keep it going. <laughs> it's going to be, I'll die. It'll be season 70 and that'll be it. Like it just keeps good, on, good, keeps good on keeping prediction. on. Yeah. This is my prediction. Uh, the Simpsons will outlast me and I plan on living forever. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh. Uh, but yes, the crusty. I'm. I. I didn't. Also, didn't really put it together that like we could have lost out on Futurama because of this. Futurama, yes. one of the two or three funniest shows ever made. So, yes. oh, yes. it's what a tragedy it would have been. So, a bo the boondoggle that could have been, but was not. Whew. Thankfully, bullet uh, dodged. Oh, Crisis sorry. averted. The buffoon doggle that could have been. You know what? I think buffoon doggle is going to have to do it. Last time you tried to cram a title into an episode. I overruled you, and one of the rare times people on Twitter wrote and said that they preferred your title. So just I don't, saying. I'm not going to argue with the people. I'm a man of yeah, the people. Uh, it, let's just uh, let's just call that right out. It was the Song Heroes episode that I I don't even remember what it was actually called, but it should have been called the Well Sung Heroes. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think you're right. Now, in retrospect, I think that was correct. Well, I think we have spent a lot of time talking about these. I'm really sorry that the Canadian football went on as long as it did. I realized as it was going, I was like, this is too many facts. I thought it was interesting. I thought you did a nice job. Thanks, honey. I don't think anybody cares about the Birmingham Barracudas. (laughs) There's nobody in Alabama who's still got a Barracudas t-shirt in the closet. I disagree. I thought that was an interesting story. I like uh, t-shirts of sports teams who have dissolved. So this Christmas, if you can get me a Memphis Mad Dog shirt, I would appreciate it. I'll, I'll do my best. I, I tried to buy you an Alouette shirt, but I, I didn't. I don't think you did. Do you have one? No. Then I have I, a... Um, then I failed. I do have a shirt. For, oh, I have an Expo shirt. Oh, that's right. As sports teams that don't exist, yeah. Yes. Well, you know, keep that in mind. All right. I like the CFL. What did the Eskimos change their name to? What? <laughs> <laughs> Remember we talked about this? The Edmonton team, had to, they changed oh. their name because Eskimo is apparently an offensive term, which I didn't realize, but they're now like the Edmonton... Something? I, I literally thought you were asking me what we call Eskimos now. And I was oh. like, I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> you know what? I, if it's offensive, let's just move on. I, I, I realize apologize. now I shouldn't have brought this up without any more facts. <laughs> Why would you do that? Sorry. I apologize. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for turning up. Uh, and I hope the boondoggles was uh, informative and interesting. Buffoondoggles. Do you have any kind of uh, outro? You want to do the outro? Mm, Back I don't, in the day... I I used to just ask you to do the outro and you didn't know what to do. So then we started playing games. Yeah. And then we went to Wango. So I don't know. What 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 do you want to do? You want to want to do for the outro? I would like to make up a song about buffoon doggles. Okay, go ahead. All right. Buffoon doggles, they're my friends. Buffoon doggles, but stay away from them because they do stuff that's not so great. And it could be very late. Goodbye. You know what? There wasn't enough rhyming, but I'm going to give you a B+. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Bye. This has been It Happened One Year. Please follow us on social media and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. That'd be great. What the hell was that?